My mother believed and my father believed that if I wanted to be president of the United States, I could be, I could be vice president. This is America. Former Vice President Joe Biden has been elected president of the United States. It is my greatest honor and privilege to have been your president. We will be back in some form. We are still deeply divided. Public health experts warned this was coming unless more was done. And here we are now. Are you proud of what happened here today? Absolutely. Never before in American history has there been an uprising like this. Of the 75 million Americans who voted for Donald Trump, I don't know how many today are feeling, dear God, what was I thinking? But I would wager a lot more are thinking, let's carry on this fight. Character matters. It matters. Tell them the truth matters. The 21st century is going to be the American century. Because we lead not only by the example of our power, but by the power of our example. That is the history of the journey of America. What a week in American politics. The French are furious. Boris met with Biden and told Macron to get over it. And the Trump lawyers who sold the baseless claim that Dominion's voting machines were being manipulated look set to face the full blast of the law. Or are they? Who better to talk us through what exactly is going on stateside than Sunday Business Post legend and our US correspondent, Marion McKeown. Marion, how are you? I'm very good, Charlotte. How are you? Uh, Have I got all that correct? I mean, I don't know if that uh, intro there does justice to the complexity of what's taking place. And where would you like to begin? I feel like the most crack we can knock out of the stories here is with these Trump lawyers especially as I've spent the week finishing off the Michael Wolf book where I, I kind of knew this this was coming. Yeah, th- this this was was not a surprise ending, I think it's fair to say. Yeah, wow, where to start? Well, why don't we start with the French and the American and they're at it again, Charlotte, they're at it again. They're having another spat. Now, I have to say, I'm looking at this spat, although I do have sympathy for the French, with us in the context of the relationship between France and America. I think it's worth talking about to, to set the... It's always been a bit... Um, should we say tempestuous is probably a good word. They're kind of like one of those couples that are, you know, they're either all in love or they're in this big snit and they're flouncing off and they're <laughs> never speaking again. They're sort of like schoolgirl frenemies in some way, actually, and, and schoolboy frenemies as well, indeed. But, but you know, I remember the, the first snit that I witnessed between and the, the, the two was back, of course, in 2003, when France, when the, the, the US was charging, leading the charge and was a charge to war with Iraq in the in the post 9-11 environment. And France stood up and said, no, hold on, we're going to give these weapons inspectors a chance. And France took the role of leading the anti-war faction, you know, within the, within the UN. And the French were so eloquent in their presentation of the case. And, you know, there really was a case to be made at the time that that this was insane, that they were rushing into Iraq before the, the weapons inspectors had been allowed to do their jobs, that they were basically accelerating the pace because they were afraid, the Americans, this is, that the weapons inspectors would prove them wrong. And this is really true. The logic in America around 2003, March 2003, I remember it clearly, was if we give these weapons inspectors enough time to their job, they're going to debunk our case for going to war. So let's go to war before they can publish their findings. And that was it in a nutshell. And the French, in the most 
eloquent and withering way possible. And I was at the UN that when that happened. And the French foreign minister at the time, Dominique de Villepin, who used to flounce into the UN, and I'm not joking, men and women alike would swoon. He'd walk in with his Gucci briefcase and his $10,000 suits, incredibly good looking man, tall, articulate, super intellectual. And in a bit of backstory, he was based in Washington in, when he was a very handsome young man in, in the uh, late 80s and early 90s, where he worked as first secretary at the French embassy and director of communications. And let's just say he spread the love around Washington. Oh, <laughs> and, Marion, Marion with the little bit of, <laughs> I mean, give I us more him. than that. Was he a man about town? All of Washington did not appreciate how he spread the love around Washington. That's all I'm saying. Look, he was he was a very popular guy in the social circuit in Washington, and a lot of Washington husbands. And I'm not implying any impropriety on his part. Did, you know, senior politicians did not appreciate how, how their wives that were falling head over heels for Deville Pan. So we go into that. And I mentioned it because a lot of the players were still around, and and you had this face off at the UN uh, between uh, Deville. Pan and Colin Powell. And Colin Powell at the time was the rock star on the world diplomatic stage. You know, everybody knew who he was and that he would arrive in and I witnessed this and people would surround him and shake hands with him. And then when Deville Pan arrived, they'd literally push Powell out of the way in the stampede to get to Deville Pan. And like, you know, all diplomacy, all politics, I think is personalities to a large, large degree. And this is just the scene setter because when Deville Pan stood up and made his speech where he said war is an admission of failure, Basically, it was one of the most powerful and prescient speeches I've ever heard at the UN. In fact, it was absolutely the most powerful and prescient speech I've ever heard. And the whole of the Security Council erupted in a standing ovation. And I still remember Colin Powell's face as he sat there and his knuckles were clenched and the fury and the humiliation was so obvious. So, as I say, you go back to that and, and that was and then as a result, of course, you had up in Capitol Hill. French fries were taken off the menu and they were replaced by freedom fries. And there was no more French toast. There was only freedom toast yeah. because freedom toast tastes better than French toast. And, God damn it. And, I mean, look, that is as petty as it gets, isn't it? I mean, literally, like I always remember the freedom fries and that like real kind of well, well then I'm I'm taking my ball back kind of attitude yeah. that was kind of hard to believe. But it does feed into what you're saying there about the relationship being one of feet stomping, arm yeah. crossing and yeah. I'm not talking to you today. It is. But also more more sinisterly, I think back then was there there were people, you know, I remember wine um owners, wine shop owners, making great play of pouring French wine into the streets. I mean, it was, it, you know, we laughed, but it was ugly and it was vicious and the enmity. And the, the, actually, uh, you know, scratch that. The, the American response that the French had the temerity to suggest that they didn't rush into war was was so disproportionate and so ridiculous. Like America was furious and they hated the French and they wanted their Eiffel Tower back or whatever. No, they wanted to send back their Statue of Liberty. Mm. And, you know, it, it was, and as I say, this is the context. So here we go again, you know, almost 20 years later. What I don't understand, okay, back in 2003, you had George W. Bush hellbent on war with Dick Cheney, Donald Rumsfeld, all the old neocons. You know, the context for the row 18 years later is 
there is a Democrat in power. There's a Democrat in power, not just any, but Joe Biden, the man who has touted his statesman credentials pretty much for half a century. And there, you know, and you have a French president in power, Emmanuel Macron, who you may remember at, at the G7, he was practically sitting on, you know, Biden's lap. I, and I'm not ridiculing anybody, but the but the, the talk about the kissing and the makeup, you know, I mean, it was like, get a room, boys. <laughs> I mean, really, they they were all over each other like two cheap suits, which indeed neither of them was wearing at the time. But, but, you know, they were like hugging each other and embracing each other. And America is back. And isn't it great that Biden is finally president and whoa, no more Trump. And now this week in in uh, what I think the French have calculated is the greatest insult they could deliver to Biden. And they might be right is they've described him as Trump without the tweets. Oh, uh, yeah. And I mean, that's going to hurt, right? That's going to ruin Joe Biden, you know. But, but in, a, in fact, the French have a point here because let, let I'll explain very briefly the, the context of the immediate foot stomping head tossing row where mm. where um, Macron has refused to even speak to Biden and he's recalled the ambassador from um, Washington, D.C., which has never happened in 250 years, not even in 2003. It's it's never happened. Uh, so basically, the French uh, cut a deal with the Australians. France has always prided itself on its international clout and it's always had a, a presence in the in the Indo-Pacific region and it's you know it, it still has islands there and it sees itself as a, a great force for diplomacy and peacekeeping. Now put all this into the context that America at the moment is with good reason you might say but is utterly fixated with China and China is the only game in town and America is going to do whatever it takes to contain China no matter how much it might tick off its allies in the process. So enter France right here. The the French had entered an agreement with the Australians to provide them with $66 billion worth of submarines. They were going to be conventionally powered submarines. That deal was inked in 2016 and, you know, it, it, um, and the French had invested in it already. Now, they sensed apparently this. I, I'm just back from Washington and people I spoke to said that the French had reapproached the Australians when they sensed that they were, you know, a little concerned about the deal and said, look, we can do nuclear submarines if you prefer. We can we can change this. And the Australians said, no, 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 you're OK. We'll stick with the deal. However, behind the scenes, Biden and Boris Johnson, who, of course, is desperate to get his mug on the world stage at this stage, you know, to, to bring back global Britain, as he keeps as he keeps saying, and the Australians entered this deal, which is called AUKUS. It's A-U-K-A-U for Australia, UK and US all running together. And uh, this is a deal that they have now decided they're going to share their nuclear submarines and their technology. And they're setting up an alliance in the Indo-Pacific region. And they've decided that France is not invited. And so the Australians were made on their deal, the $66 billion deal, which is a blow for the French economy. And it's, it is not a good thing to do. And and but worse is that the Americans oversaw this. They did it behind the French back. They negotiated with the Australians to push the French out, basically. And they weren't told there was, you know, they, they, they didn't do the courtesy of even informing the French. Look, you're, it, it's kind of like 
you know, the way the gang in school, the playground, mm. that, you know, they'll gang up and they'll suddenly push one person out who thought they were their friend. And so for France, the humiliation on the world stage has been really considerable that, that it, America doesn't consider it an ally on the level of the Anglo-Saxons, you know, the, the Australians, the Brits, the Canadians, etc. Uh, and that, that they see France as a bit part player when France has been a really staunch ally to America, you know, forever. And like, despite their their 2003 snitch after 9-11 you know you had the headlines we are all Americans in French newspapers the outpouring of support and there was no need for any of this so here we are today all Biden and, and the Brits and the Australians had to do was say to the French look we're going to expand this deal come on board bring your, your nuclear submarines bring your technology and we'll all work together yeah that's what I can understand yeah and and you know the, the fact as well that diplomatically look Biden knows that Macron is facing into a tough election and that the far right is resurgent in France. So, so to humiliate him like this and to emasculate his leadership like this, it makes no diplomatic sense either. Now, I can... It, it, it's absurd. And, and it's it's so Trumpian that you just you blunder in, you do what you want, you take what you want, and to hell with the Allies getting upset, they'll get over it. So there you have it. That's your taste of the Irishman in America for this week with Marion McKeown. Come on over and hear the rest of the conversation by becoming a member at patreon.com forward slash Irishman abroad and enjoy all these conversations in full, including our feature interview every Sunday and our back catalogue of nearly eight years of interviews at patreon.com forward slash Irishman abroad. Ready? You have the cameras rolling? This is America. A lot of people who would probably consider themselves liberal have done very well financially under the Donald Trump four years. You encouraged espionage against our people. You condemn any interference by Russia in the American election. By Russia or anybody else. Russia, please, if you can, get us Hillary Clinton's emails. Please, Russia, please. To renew America, we must revitalize our democracy.